Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. Hebrews 11, 24 to 26. By faith, Moses considers the reproach of Christ greater riches. Moses considers the reproach of Christ greater riches. 11, 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to endure ill-treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll grant us this kind of faith that Moses had, the faith that looks to the reward, the faith that does not look to the world and earthly pleasures. May we look at the reproach of Christ as a greater value to us than anything else in this world. Grant us this faith and grant our minds to understand by your Holy Spirit. And may your Holy Spirit be present here to change our hearts and to increase our faith and to bring about repentance. For we ask in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. What would you do if you were the prince of the land? What would you do if you were the prince of the land the king of the land, would you maintain and retain your position of power and authority in order to enjoy all the pleasures and luxuries of life? Would you do that? Or, if the gospel were preached to you and God were to command you, God were to tell you that God, He had something else in mind for you in your life, something that is better, that related to eternal life, would you obey Him? Would you obey Him and give it all up? Would you give up all the pleasures and all the luxuries, all the privileges, all the fame, all the fortune, all of the fun of living in the court? Would you do that or not? That's what Moses did. That's what Moses did. That's what we're studying today. Moses, the man of God, the prophet of God, he is the focus now from verses 23 from last time, Moses' parents and how they treated him and protected him from the last verse 23 and continuing through verse 29 we're going to read about what Moses did now our author here the apostle is giving more attention to Moses as he did with Abraham these are the two main figures here in <coughs> Hebrews 11 and these two main figures Abraham and Moses are also the most important of the two of the Old Testament. Abraham as a model of faith and Moses because he was the first written prophet and he had the most intimate relationship with God among all the prophets. He is the one who established the nation, delivered the nation from Israel and then established them and became the foundation for all the rest of Scripture. That's why I believe our apostles spend some time with Moses. So we would also do well to study his life and learn how he had faith and how his faith was manifested, displayed in his life. That's what he does in 11.24. He first asserts that Moses had faith. Remember, faith, the faith of Moses was the cause or the basis, the foundation for all of the good fruit in his life. Those who do not have true faith do not produce good fruit. They may have a false faith, a pretentious faith, but they don't have a real faith 
unless the fruit that they produce is based on true faith. Moses, he says here, had true faith. Because of the true faith that Moses had, he obeyed in ways that pleased God. Remember from 11, Hebrews 11, verse 6, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. True faith is necessary in order to please God. But then, faith is that which resides within. Faith is that which is invisible. Faith is not something that is tangible. You can't touch it and grab it and hold on to it. That's why in the Bible, true faith has to show itself in the life of the person who claims it. Whoever alleges to have faith, whoever claims to have true faith, it must be shown by good fruit, by the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. From Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And against such things there is no law. This is what God desires to see in us. That's what he saw in Moses. Or that's what we see in Moses. That is, God's work of faith in Moses, that God produced in Moses, was then manifested in his life. Philippians 1, 6 shows that this faith did not originate with Moses, but came from heaven, was placed in Moses' heart, and then Moses showed forth by his obedience. Philippians 1.6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It was God who began the work of faith in Moses, produced it in Moses, and then Moses obeyed. Now notice, verse 24 says that when he had grown up, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That is, at a certain age, at the age of 40, we are told in Scripture, he grew up and he had a calling in his life, and this calling was a calling to reject the court of Pharaoh and to choose to be the leader and the prophet of the people of God. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20 where we can read about this. Exodus chapter 20. Excuse me, Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. Exodus 2 verse 11. Exodus 2:11. Now, it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And he went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priests of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. 
when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, why have you come back so soon today? So they said, an Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. And Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, where we will have a recollection, a recounting of what happened here in Exodus chapter 2. Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, verse 17. 7.17 But as the time of the promise was approaching, which God had assured to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose another king over Egypt, who knew nothing about Joseph. It was he who took shrewd advantage of our race and mistreated our fathers, so that they would expose their infants, and they would not survive. And it was at this time that Moses was born, and he was lovely in the sight of God, and he was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been exposed, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. And Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being unjustly uh, treated, he defended him and took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. And he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them in peace, saying, Men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, who made you a ruler and judge over us? You do not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? And at this remark, Moses fled and became an alien in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. We have a confirmation from these passages about what we are told in Hebrews chapter 11, that when Moses had grown up, at the age of 40, it entered his mind by the will of God to go out to his brethren because God had ordained that at that time Moses should go out and declare that he was the deliverer of the people. God had declared to Moses, and Moses supposed that his people, the Hebrew people, the people of Israel, understood that and were ready to have him as their judge, their king, their deliverer, their leader, their prophet, to deliver them from their Egyptian bondage and to conquer the land of Canaan. He supposed that they were ready, but they weren't ready. They weren't ready, and then he had to flee for his life to a foreign land out of Egypt into the land of Midian, go to another foreign land, even though his own native uh, or heritage was Hebrew from the Hebrew race. He had to go to the land of Midian. He found a wife there, 
uh, Raul's daughter, or Jethro's daughter, more often known as Jethro, Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, he married her and they had two sons. He had to live there for 40 years, we know. Now, this is the mistreatment, this is the ill treatment that he had to endure. Not only during that time, but you know, when he came back to the land of Egypt, he endured ill treatment for another 40 years under the same people. By that point, they were in the millions and endured ill treatment. Now, the ill treatment notice, it says, he chose to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That is, he could have stayed in the court. He did not have to go out there to see how his brethren were doing, the Hebrew people were doing, as slaves. He did not have to go do any of that. He could have stayed in his luxury. He could have stayed in his comfort. He could have stayed where all the money was. He could have stayed where all the servants were. He did not have to lift up a finger. All he had to do is say a word and he could have whatever he wanted. He could eat whatever he wanted. He could do whatever he wanted. He could go wherever he wanted. He had all of the protection, all of the bodyguards. He had the, 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 the will of the military at his beck and call. He could do whatever he wanted. Moses had that. And everybody knew about him. He was well-educated. He was the prince. He may well have been a, a pharaoh. He could have done many things. He could have been a ruler over that whole country. He could have done all of that, being raised in the court of Pharaoh, being the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. He had all of that right before him, but he refused it. He refused it in order to choose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why did he choose to go out among the Hebrew people who were enslaved and risk that they wouldn't trust him, risk that they would not believe that it was he who was going to deliver them. Why would he do that? Why is it? It says here, he didn't want the passing pleasures of sin. God has so changed his mind, changed his heart, changed his spirit, given him a new heart. God had so done that to him that he knew that the things of the world were worthless useless, vain, fickle, passing away quickly, here today, gone tomorrow. And even his life could have been that way. Even in the court of Pharaoh, assassination attempts of leaders of countries happen all the time. Does it not? Even in our day it happens. He could have been assassinated. His life could have been gone just like that. But he rather chose, because he had faith, he chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God, which happened when he was trying to spare one Hebrew from another Hebrew. And then he had to flee. They mistreated him. They said, who made you? Who appointed you a judge or ruler over us? They spied him. They said, no way. Who are you? We don't need to listen to you. That's what they did, this ill treatment. He chose rather to endure that risk and to endure being associated with slaves, commoners, or today, we might say blue-collar workers. He chose rather to be associated with those kinds of people than the elite, the rich, the famous, the powerful, the influential. That's what he did. Why? Because of eternal life. Because of Christ. 
He had his hope in eternity, not in this world. This is the, our challenge as well. Our Lord Jesus Christ has announced this challenge to us as well. Let's look at a couple of examples of this. Our first example will be the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. The rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 17. Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words his face fell, and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking upon them, Jesus said, With men it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. A rich young ruler approaches. A rich young ruler approaches. His life is still before him. Moses' life was still before him. He was only 40 years old. What was it going to be like? The rich young ruler comes to Christ with this question. In and of itself, the question is a fine question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Meaning, I want eternal life. Tell me how to achieve it. Now, if he, and he was thinking in terms of good works, and in that sense he was wrong to ask the question, but to desire eternal life in and of itself is not a bad thing. And Jesus knew that since he was focused on his own goodness, his own good works, Jesus puts a challenge out before him to keep the commandments. And then he should have said, well, no, I haven't kept these commandments. In one way or another, I have broken all of these commandments. He should have said that, but he didn't say that. And because he didn't say that, Jesus said, one thing you still lack. You still do not love God with all your heart. You do not love your neighbor as yourself because you love what you own. You love your property. You love your wealth. You are not a lover of God. You are a lover of money. Money is your master, not the heavenly master and Lord Jesus Christ. 
Jesus knew that about him, so he seized upon the opportunity of that man's greatest sin to address it and to attack it. That's what Jesus did. The greatest sin of that man that rose to the surface that Jesus knew, he addressed that sin. And he said, and looking at him, verse 21, Jesus felt a love for him and said, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. See, Moses knew about the heavenly treasure, but he did not know or he did not have faith to believe in that heavenly treasure. Instead, what does he do? His face falls. He walks away grieved because he loved his property. He loved his possessions. He was unwilling to do so. And this example is given to us in the scripture that we might not be the same, but that we might have faith, like Moses had faith, to give up what was necessary in order to live for the will of God. The one who lives for the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2, 17 to 15 to 17. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. For whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. You want to live forever? Do the will of God, not your own will, but the will of God. The rich young ruler did not do so. Then the disciples are amazed at this statement. They are amazed at this example that they just witnessed. And Jesus tells them it is impossible for man to accomplish eternal life. It must happen by the will of God. But don't be worried. Don't be concerned. Because even if we do have to give up our possessions, Jesus tells us that even though we give them up, we will receive 100 times as much now in the present age. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, farms, will receive many more. And what does he mean? For example, in the local church, we have many brothers and sisters in Christ. More brothers and sisters in Christ who truly love God and seek to help one another, pray for one another, more than our own flesh and blood family, right? Because in our families, we might have two or three or five siblings, but in church, we have more siblings, spiritual siblings, and more than our own flesh and blood may, may help us or might despise us, in the church, if it's a good church, a true church, they will love each other, they'll look after each other, they'll pray for each other, they'll ask about each other's well-being. That's what Jesus means here. You'll have many more, 100 times as much. But also, it's not as though life is easy. There will also be persecution. Just like Moses had persecution by his own people, we will also have persecution in this life. As we go about from day to day, being faithful to Christ, we'll have that. But eternal life awaits. Eternal life awaits. Many who are first now will be last then. And many who are last now will be first then. We are among the last now, but we will be first then. And Christ will say to us, well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into the joy of your master. 
Now, another passage where our Lord taught us is Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Luke 16, 19. This is the rich man and Lazarus. This is another rich man, most likely another rich man, and Lazarus. Lazarus, the, the brother of Mary and Martha from John 11. So, Luke 16, 19. Now, there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores, and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now, it came about that the poor man died, and he, he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed, in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, they, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Our Lord here, in this example of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man, it says in verse 19, he was rich, habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. That could easily describe Moses, right? Moses had all of those privileges every day in the court of Pharaoh. In this case, this rich man, he kept it to himself, and he showed his lack of faith by not repenting of his sins, by not listening to Moses and the prophets. For the, his whole life, he never had faith. He died, and he went to Hades, where he was tormented, so tormented that he said, just have Lazarus dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. Verse 24. That's how excruciating, how tormenting the pain was. He wanted relief. And he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus there, right next to him. And then... If it's not possible to be cooled off now, he wonders, is it possible I have surviving brothers? They're still alive. Have Lazarus. Have somebody. Somebody from, arise from the dead, especially Lazarus, a miracle. Make a miracle happen so that my brothers see the miracle 
and wake up, that they are jolted out of their slumber. Make them wake up. Make them realize their sin and repent of sin. But what is Abraham's word? What is Abraham's word? He says it twice in verse 29. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, if someone rises to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Just read Moses and the prophets. If the word of God is not going to convince a heart, the stubborn, evil heart, a miracle will not do it. The word of God is more important than a miracle. If a, if a stubborn heart meets a miracle, there will be no conversion. The only thing that can crush the stubborn heart is the word of God. Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire and like a hammer which shatters a rock? It's the word of God that will shatter a rock. And if that word of God has not worked on the disobedient, evil, unbelieving human heart, if the word of God hasn't worked, then nothing else will work, is his point. Moses, Moses understood this. Moses had a tender, sensitive, circumcised new heart. He had that new heart. And that's why his life was different than this rich man. That's the way ours is supposed to be. To not only see that Moses experienced these things, but for Moses to be an example to us. That's what he's saying here. They, we have to listen to Moses and the prophets. Moses, his account, the, the account of his life is here, and his interactions with God, his words from God, and, and also interactions with the people are all there for us to learn and to emulate, to be like him, have faith, and be willing to endure ill treatment from people than to enjoy our sin. Will you be that way? Jesus calls us to be just like that. Hebrews 11 continues to describe Moses. It says in 11.26, Hebrews 11.26, that he was considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses had as his foundation, as his focal point, he had the reproach of Christ. Once he understood the reproach of Christ, everything else came into full view, into proper view. Once he knew about the cross of Christ, he knew what everything else meant in the world. Until he saw the cross of Christ, he did not understand. But once he saw the cross of Christ, once he understood, once he considered, once he had faith in the reproach of Christ, the cross of Christ, then the world made sense. Then his own life made sense. Then he understood his need for forgiveness of sins. He became a changed man. And that cross of Christ never left him. He always kept it front and center. He always did, just like the Apostle Paul taught us. But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The Apostle said that. I'm not going to boast in anything except the cross of Christ, 
Because by that cross of Christ, I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. Meaning, I'm dead to the world. I don't care about the things of the world. I care about Christ. I care about forgiveness of sins. I care about eternal life. I care about preaching the gospel. I care about preaching righteousness, truth, holiness. That's what I care about. And that's what Moses did. Because he had Christ before him, he was able to make sense of his own life and everything around him. That's what it's saying here. He considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now you may say, how do I know, or how do we know that Moses believed in Christ and, the, and that Moses preached Christ? That he not only believed in the death and resurrection of Christ, but he also preached Christ so that others also might be justified by grace through faith in Christ, have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. You may wonder, because you may have thought, you may have learned that the gospel that we now believe is only true after Christ came into the world and died on the cross. No, it's not like that. Throughout the Old Testament, from Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, so forth, they all believed in the death and resurrection of Christ. Let's seek to prove that, at least today, in the example of Moses. In the example of Moses, did Moses believe in the death of Christ? Is that what his faith was in? That Christ's perfection, his holiness, his righteousness on the cross was reckoned to him. Is this the way it, it was with him? Hebrews 11.26 says, the reproach of Christ. Well, a reproach or something disgraceful, something dishonorable, that's not going to be Christ as King of Kings. That's not going to be Christ risen from the dead. That's not going to be God in His almighty power. A reproach, a disgraceful thing, would be to identify with the death of Christ, a shameful crucifixion, a punishment that was on the cross for us, that everyone mocked, right? The Jewish authorities mocked it, the Roman authorities mocked it, the Roman soldiers mocked it, except one, finally, realized truly this was the Son of God, right? The two thieves on the cross mocked it initially, and then one thief repented, the other one did not repent. So there was reproach, there was disgrace with the cross of Christ. How do we know he's talking about the cross? Turn with me to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 13, 12, 13, 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Within the same letter, he describes the death of Christ in verse 12. Because Christ, by his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. Outside the city gate, just outside the city gate, is where he suffered. He was crucified there. His blood was shed right there. Then in 13, he says, let's go out to him also. Let's go out there to the camps spiritually, metaphorically speaking, let's go out there where Jesus died and identify with him. Let's also touch the cross, cling to the cross. Let's believe in that cross where he died. 
That's his point. And when we do so, we're going to bear his reproach. We're going to also identify with his death and our identification with the death of Christ, the cross of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, is also going to make people laugh at us. They're going to disdain us. They're going to look at us as disgraceful people, as wicked people, as people that they don't want uh, as their friends. That's the way it's going to be. We're going to be persecuted. We will be reproached because we have identified ourselves with the cross of Christ. And we all have to do that if we're Christians, right? Luke 9.23 says, If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's us. If we want to be followers of Christ, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. That's what he's meaning here. The reproach of Christ is the death of Christ and our identification with it, just as Moses identified with it. Now, a couple of more places where we have evidence that Moses preached the death of Christ. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. After Christ rose from the dead, you know he walked to a town or village called Emmaus, and there were two disciples that did not recognize Christ, and they dialogued with Christ on this uh, on their journey to this town. And notice, they did not recognize Christ and they weren't believing at that time that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And then they say, or he says the following. Luke 24, 25. 24, 25. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. That means right there, he rebukes them for not understanding what's already written in the Old Testament. He rebukes them. He said, didn't you know that this was the case? And what was supposed to be the case, 26, that Christ was to suffer and enter into his glory. So his suffering and his glory, that is his persecution throughout his ministry and suffering on the cross, and then his resurrection from the dead, his ascension, his return, all of these are his glorious parts, parts of his ministry. So his suffering and his glory. Those are the two basic ways to describe the gospel, the gospel of Christ. And where does he go to start explaining the suffering of Christ? Look at 27. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets. Where, where did he begin if he began with Moses? Moses wrote the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He wrote those first five books. He's the foundational literary prophet from Genesis to Deuteronomy. And he wrote the book of Genesis according to this statement. And not only did he write the book of Genesis, he wrote about the sufferings of Christ in the book of Genesis and Exodus, so forth, and the glories to follow. Moses wrote about the sufferings of Christ in the book of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
He wrote about these truths. He wrote about them because God revealed them to him. He revealed them to him. John chapter 5, another example of Moses knowing and believing the same gospel that Jesus Christ preached. John 5, John 5, and we'll start at verse 44. John 5, 44, toward the end of the chapter. 5, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? From this statement, Christ is saying that the reason they don't believe the true gospel has to do with them flattering each other and patting each other on the back. They receive glory from each other, they praise each other, flatter each other, instead of seeking glory only from God. And if they were seeking glory only from God, they would submit themselves to the Word of God. Not the uh, praise and flattery and honor from other men. No. And then he says in 45, Don't think that I'm the one, as though I'm the only one, or I'm the main one, or the first one that's going to accuse you. You know who's going to accuse you? It's going to be Moses. You say with your mouth, you believe in Moses, that you believe that he wrote the books of the Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy, the law of Moses. You say you believe that, but do you really believe what he said in that? No, you don't. You, re you reject it. Because if you did believe what he said there, then you would not reject me. Because Jesus says, if you believe Moses, 46, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses wrote of Christ, about Christ, concerning Christ. Moses wrote about Christ. And if you don't believe his writings, you're not going to believe my words. Because my words are consistent with his writings. What I'm preaching to you is consistent with what Moses already wrote to you. And if you are uh, stunned by what I'm saying, you're incredulous by what I'm saying, that's because you don't even believe Moses. You claim to believe him, but you don't believe him. And what did Jesus preach? He preached, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's speaking of his crucifixion and his resurrection. And that's what Moses preached. He preached the same thing. Now, one more point that I'd like to make has to do with Moses himself and what he knew. What he knew. Now, you may think, let's turn to Exodus chapter 25 for this. <coughs> Exodus 25. It may be that you might, might think or you may have heard that Moses wrote these things, but Moses did not understand these things. Moses wrote what he did not understand or did not comprehend. Moses wrote what he did not comprehend. You may have thought that or you may have heard somebody say that, Moses wrote about things that he had no clue as to the reference, as to the person. Well, look at Exodus 25. Exodus 25. In this chapter, the tabernacle is being constructed or instructions are there for how to build it. And notice what it says in 25, 22. Exodus 25, 22. 
about Moses and God. 25, 22. And there I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. Moses has a privilege that others do not have. It is not said of any other prophet that they had the privilege of hearing the voice of God in the most holy place of the temple or tabernacle, and there God would explain everything to Moses. Moses had that great privilege. The voice of God was there in the most holy place, and not just anyone could enter that place. Only the priests at certain times could enter that place, but Moses could enter whenever God had a word for him. He would enter, and God would personally, face-to-face, in close proximity, have his voice speak to Moses and explain his commandments. Numbers chapter 12. Another example, Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Someone may say, well, there, yes, God is speaking to him, but it doesn't say God explained it and made him understand. God could have said things that were an enigma to him, perplexing to him, mysterious to him. Not so. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, 6 to 8. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision, and I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? The Lord says here, he's saying this to those who were opposing Moses, Aaron and Miriam. He says, whenever I reveal myself to a prophet, I speak to the prophets in visions, in dreams, and dark sayings. By dark saying, he means parables and mysterious sayings, riddles, Proverbs, that's the way he speaks to other prophets. Visions, dreams, and dark sayings. To other true prophets, he speaks like that. But when God reveals his word to Moses, he doesn't do it that way. Because in a vision, or in a dream, or in a dark saying, you need an interpreter to make sure you have interpreted that dark saying correctly. Right? No. But with Moses, it didn't happen that way. He says in verse 8, With him I speak, uh, he says in verse 7, Not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. I don't speak to Moses in mysteries and riddles. I tell him exactly what I'm thinking. And he gets it. He comprehends it. And then he teaches the people as a faithful preacher and teacher of the gospel of Christ. Now Moses, this is what Moses understood. This is what Moses believed. He was so convinced of the truth of God. He had conviction of the truth of God. He had true faith. He had repentance. He desired heavenly things. He desired holy things. This is what Moses was all about. That's what we've learned here in Hebrews 11. 
This is the way Moses was. Because his hope was fixed on Christ. Even the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ was not a shameful, disgraceful thing to him. Not in his estimation. It might be in the world's estimation, but not in his estimation. In his estimation, nothing else mattered to him. The reproach of Christ was front and center to him. May it be also to us. As the Apostle Paul said, one more time, we'll cite it. Galatians 6, 14. Galatians 6, 14. But may it never be that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Let's be the same. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.